Welcome to episode three of Sidewalk Skyline podcast. I don't know how long you've lived in your present city, town, or rural area, but there's something to be said about putting down your roots. Today, I want you to hear an interview uh, with Mike Brownlee. Mike is now 26 years deep in working with Metro Kids in Surrey, British Columbia. I have great respect for Mike and his wife Lynn for their endurance. People like these often have a deep sense of what the Spirit is saying to the church in their community. They work with a lot of at-risk kids. Mike is part of the Mission Canada Urban Guiding Group uh, that I belong to. And this interview was held at our first time meeting each other. Uh, We recorded in the archives at Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada back in March 2019. And I hope I'll see Mike again later this year and get an update on what's happening in Surrey. Well, let's go right now to that interview uh, with Mike Brownlee of Metro Kids in Surrey, B.C. Hey, Mike, uh, people view their city uh, from different perspectives, depending on who you are, where you are in the city. Uh, People will tell you it's the best place in the world, it's the worst place in the world. Everybody's got a different angle. Um, What's your angle? You've been in Surrey, B.C. for 25 years. Yep. And what do you know to be true about Surrey? It's the best place and it's the worst place. You know, there's there's pockets of everything. Um, like most Canadian cities, Surrey's very diverse. And so in the greater Vancouver area, it tends to be the place where there's uh, lowest rent for two and three bedroom apartments. And so that means, generally speaking anyway, if you're single and in poverty, you're probably going to wind up somewhere around the downtown east side. But if you have children, and you need a place to land, then you're probably going to land in Surrey. So we have a, a huge amount of new Canadians. This is the first place that they, they settle and they land in in Canada, in BC, in the Vancouver area, as well a lot of families that are just struggling. So families on social assistance, families uh, that are working through addiction, uh, single parent families, a lot of Aboriginal families. So kind of Every demographic that would be at risk usually winds up inner city. However, that's also right beside a very affluent population. Uh, certain sectors are uh, huge houses. Um, they're getting the the old houses are getting knocked down, and these huge mansions with six basement suites in them are coming in. And so we have very wealthy people and very poor people uh, right beside each other, right on top of each other. Uh, and a few farms left right in the middle, struggling with yeah. <laughs> little houses urban, and, and apartments. All the urban poor and farms. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so take me on a walking tour, and uh, you're working with Metro Kids. Uh, we're going to go on a walk, and we're going to go into the places that you go with Metro Kids. So walk me through. Sure. Well, if you start in the city center, you'll walk past the the parts of the city that are changing and so there's a lot of old storefronts um, old by BC standards anyway 
that are um, African grocery stores, triple X movie places, uh, pawn shops, things like that, walk half a block down and it's a brand new condo development. Take a left, you go under the transit, and uh, you wind up in an apartment complex that is rotting and full of mold, um, falling apart. There's a playground in the middle of this complex. None of the kids ever use it because all the prostitutes and drug dealers hang out there. Mm-hmm. And so all the kids are inside breathing, breathing the mold. Right beside that, a giant high-rise just coming up. Uh, the city center is trying to be developed into a university district, uh, so there's a few of the colleges setting up there and a lot of high-density housing coming in, and so a lot of people are moving into the city. This is also displacing the poor. And so next door to these giant high-rises are tiny little homes that have been there since the 40s, and uh, they're filled with struggling families. And in a matter of months, those homes are going to get bulldozed for another high-rise, and where are these families going to go? And so where they wind up, a lot of times are other municipalities and the low-income housing complexes. There's a number of these scattered throughout the city. There's some Aboriginal uh, complexes. There's some privately owned, um, and, yeah. and there's one really large company that houses... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of families, and so these are high-density, large apartment complexes with all the families from every walk of life sharing the commonality that they're all right on the edge of poverty. Yeah, and some of our conversations about what what does urban mean, uh, it means a lot of things depending on who you're talking to, uh, but for the sake of our discussions for the sake of side sidewalk skyline podcast we're really talking about high density meaning the population a lot of people crammed into a small space mm-hmm. high density high diversity uh, meaning uh, it's it's not all the same it's very diverse uh, and then high uh, disparity the mm-hmm. the huge polarizing between the rich and the poor. Uh, so um, into this mix, now, now there's also uh, sometimes when poverty is displaced in a city core, it ends up moving to the suburbs. I, is mm-hmm. that happening in Surrey? I think that has happened and that's the reason why a lot of the families live in Surrey that do because they've been displaced from closer to the city core. Right. Vancouver's weird demographically, though. Uh, it doesn't follow the standard model of the city center is where all the poor are segregated, and then it gets wealthier as you go out. It's very mixed up. And uh, so we're seeing that in Surrey, that um, there's 11 of the 20 most vulnerable neighborhoods in the entire greater Vancouver area are in the city of Surrey. And so they're not downtown, uh, like you would typically think it's spread out over a large area. And Surrey is a huge landmass. There's uh, five to 600,000 people there and more coming all the time. It's kind of the last area close to Vancouver where there is room to develop. And so it's a very fast growing city. And so we see all these, all these changes happening very rapidly. Uh, but we see a lot of the poor also being displaced and they're going mm-hmm. farther away from the city core. And- um, What would be some other communities in Lower mainland that that you're seeing poverty uh, pockets. 
Um, as you go farther east on the number one highway, then there's Langley and Aldergrove, uh, downtown Langley. Uh, had a casino built a number of years back, and that seems to have had a pretty negative effect on the downtown core. Uh, and then out into rural communities that we usually think of, Abbotsford and Chilliwack, also have a, a very big rise in homeless population and homeless camps in these farming communities that um, they're still within reach of the city. And so we're seeing the poor being spread out all over the neighborhood and uh, rural communities. It seems they're they're growing into larger cities, but they're grappling with the problem of homeless people and widespread poverty as well. Mm. Uh, your wife, Lynn, mm-hmm. Lynn Brownlee, she wrote a book, Every Child Deserves to Know. And in the book, she tells a story of uh, Graham Hansen. She talks about how his life changed. Uh, He would be self-described as a drinking, drug-dealing, high school dropout. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he uh, came to be the the founder, I believe, of uh, Metro City Kids. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Graham. Sure, yeah. I first met Graham in the mid-90s and uh, started working with him, and he had... uh, basically been called by God out of this crazy hippie lifestyle, uh, radically saved, and uh, God set him up to reach the kids in Surrey and Langley, the neighboring city. And so when I first met him, um, he was running this huge bus ministry outreach to hundreds of unchurched families and uh, needed a hand. And so I came on as a young guy and, and got to know him. And uh, we were planting a church at that time. Uh, out of the bus ministry, we're finding there's all these families that we're getting to know in the inner city, uh, but they're not coming to middle-class church. Right. They're not driving out to the suburbs because they don't have a car. And so planting a church right in the city for them. And um, he's the driving force behind that and is still the senior pastor of the church. And we've worked together for the last 25 years. And uh, I'm always uh, amazed by his drive and his vision and his passion for the lost and just this philosophy that whatever it takes to reach people, that's what we're going to do. Let's do it. doesn't matter what. And so I've heard Greg Boyd talk about how whatever we are in life, um, we become more of as as we get older. And uh, so you've Mm -hmm. you've known Graham. I mean, you've been with Metro Kids for 25 years mm-hmm. in one form or another. Yeah. And uh, would, would you see that being true of Graham? Is, is he more of who he was? Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's definitely uh, still pushing. Um, there's, there's that aspect there that the spirit is willing, but the, but the flesh is weak, right? <laughs> yeah. And so as, as some of those realities set in, then uh, we've got to adopt other strategies. And so that's a lot of the reason why uh, we did the transition where where we did, where I took over um, all the operations of Metro Kids, uh, which allowed him to focus on the church instead of being senior pastor of the church and director of the charity at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're able to kind of divide and conquer a little bit and diversify that way. And so that's a helpful thing. But uh, it's so great to have a church home where they get it, mm-hmm. and where um, where the broken are welcome, yeah. and um, it's just because we are the broken, right? Exactly, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's outreach DNA right from day one. Yeah. Yeah, and I was yeah. privileged to be there on day one and still there. Yeah, so that's great. So, so Graham used to deal drugs, and uh, mm-hmm. what's, he, uh, what's he been dealing for the last 25 years? Well, what he usually says is, when I got saved, I didn't stop drinking, I just switched fountains. And so uh, it's, it's great to hear him preach because he's able to say, yeah, guys, I've been there. Yeah. I've had all the money. I've had all the toys. Uh, and Jesus is better. And I've mm-hmm. been on welfare. And I know what it's like to struggle to make ends meet. And Jesus has provided for me. Mm-hmm. And I've done all the drugs in the world. And I've had, to, had the highest highs. And I can tell you Jesus is better. And everyone in the room knows that he gets it. And yeah. they're nodding their heads. And they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It really helps. Yeah. So Metro Kids is all about, I've looked on your website, metrokids.ca, and it's all about at-risk children and youth, uh, all of your programs. Uh, What, let's talk about at-risk kids. What are the risks um, that work against Surrey kids thriving? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, at risk is kind of a, a catch-all term to yeah. describe all the negative things that can happen when people live in vulnerable neighborhoods, which is another one of those catch-all terms. But right. Um, right. the biggest things are um, crime, gangs, and the cycle of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cycle of poverty can take many forms, but what we see is that people that grow up dependent on um, social assistance uh, and living in those environments, they're much more likely to just consider that that the norm and not have the means or the ambition even to rise above it Mm -hmm. and to pursue a different path. And so they don't have the opportunities. Um, For instance, kids that are hungry aren't going to learn as well. And if they don't learn as well, then they'll act out and have behavioral problems and uh, they won't make it through school or they'll go through school feeling like I'm an outcast, I'm a failure, and so I can't do anything beyond this. Hmm. And then all the adults in their life they see are on the streets, on welfare, on disability, on drugs, mm-hmm. and all their role models, that's who they see. And so that's who they figure, oh, well, this is who we become. And so they're looking for a sense of belonging, they're looking for significance, that's the pull of the gangs, that's the pull of the drugs, and uh, it just becomes an easier way to go. And you add into that the sexual promiscuity mm-hmm. that happens in our culture, and so we've got a lot of teen pregnancies and mm-hmm. single moms. And, well, my mom had me when she was 15, so, yeah, I'll, I'll carry that on two, yeah. three, four generations. Yeah, it's fairly in normative in, in the culture, right? It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... We, we approach uh, in, in the kind of work that we do um, with, uh, as Christians, uh, sometimes we come in to, uh, you know, uh, share good news with people, right? That's sort of the, the impetus, the drive behind uh, gosp- the gospel and, and our, our sense of calling to that. Uh, but sometimes we come in and we really don't understand the culture of, of the people and so mm-hmm. we've got um, language uh, about uh, the, the culture around us uh, that uh, could be offensive you know uh, 
if a, a community is working hard to rehabilitate and uh, redevelop and there's lots of community advocates and everybody's pushing and working together, um, they don't want to be called the island of misfit toys. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. they don't they don't want to be known as, oh, this is the place with the worst crime. And and, and there's a desire to re-identify the community mm -hmm. about different things. Uh, I think that's part of the work of the gospel, but it's something that we often trip and stumble on is how do we uh, bring uh, to the community we're reaching a... Uh, a a fresh identity, hmm. you know, and and also in in terms of how we view the world around us. Um, what about the the shift that has to happen in us? You know, remember the first time that uh, you know you encountered a uh, let, let's call it a distasteful environment, and, mm -hmm. and something really stunk, or you know somebody uh, was doing something that was really hard to to watch you know I mean that changes you doesn't it mm -hmm. you know and and there's a an internal wrestle that goes on um, how are you learning over 25 years to change your view of people hmm well I think as I get to know people and know their stories I'm realizing and remembering that everyone has a story and there's there's reasons that somebody's in poverty, there's reasons that someone's in despair, there's yeah. reasons that somebody doesn't trust. And um, there's there's been a number of people that have let me into their story and, and let me know what's really gone on and what's really mm -hmm. happened. And so I know for all of those stories that I know, there's dozens and hundreds that I don't. Mm -hmm. But I can assume that there's something else going on there. Uh, and so I think that that helps me to give people a second chance and to, uh, to help them to overcome that mm -hmm. and um, to look more at um, identity rather than behavior. Mm -hmm. And if there's behaviors that need changing and that are negative, um, I'm more apt to try to help them look at themselves differently and try to get to those root causes, that hunger for significance and, and for security and for love. You know, just knowing everybody just wants to be loved and mm -hmm. they want to be accepted. Yeah. And when they can get that filled through a relationship with God, then everything else can straighten out. I mean, there's still issues and there's still mm -hmm. difficulties and addictions and things to work through. But if what's feeding that, that hunger for love and significance, if that is filled by something positive, mm -hmm. then everything else comes into line yeah. and everything else can line up. It might take a couple decades, yeah. but that's, that's the piece that really needs to shift. And just focusing on behavior isn't going to do that. Right. Yeah. We need you kids to line up and behave, yeah. you know, and act just like us. That, mm -hmm. That's the wrong message, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So it's more about having an internalized experience with God that grows something new inside them. Yeah, yeah. How do you deal when you're nurturing young lives and maybe you've had 
somebody that you've maybe a boy or girl you've worked with since they were eight years old and now they're 23 years old and they've mm -hmm. you know come up in metro kids and and they've they've become one of your uh your core team and and you've empowered them and equipped them to to help others and then all of a sudden they fall off the wagon uh or they um you know break the code they do something mm -hmm. that uh just is disqualifying in some way you know what mm -hmm. how do you respond to to failures yeah and that's that's probably the most painful part of working in the inner city for me is um, just seeing the devastation that a few choices can make um, and when when people put themselves in a position that they can't be good examples to the kids that are coming up below them then we have to have a painful conversation yeah. um, and it's difficult when um, there's warning signs there's indicators and we're sitting down and saying hey uh, we've noticed this what's going on there and they're like everything's fine there's no problems and then the truth comes out later and it's it's uh, it's very difficult can you, uh, any um, we're not gonna name names obviously mm -hmm. but uh, can you think of an example of uh, a difficult situation and and what you had to learn through that yeah with someone yeah yeah well pick a year um there's there's <laughs> been a number of them um the graduating class of <laughs> 2008 um there's um one young man that uh we were working with for years and um grew up in the ministry and uh was connected with us um in his teen years it um came to light that one of our youth workers had been uh, doing some inappropriate sexual stuff uh, around him and uh, we we didn't get the full download of everything that happened uh, but we knew that that there was some stuff going on so of course when that happened that youth worker um, uh, we pulled him out immediately and uh, and he kind of disappeared for a while uh, and so did this uh, this teen boy um, and we knew that there was a lot of hurt there and there was mm -hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of pain and yet there's still relationship and so a year or two later I uh, started coming back around and uh, that's great and we got to know him again and uh, got reconnected and um, and as time went on uh, this young man started getting um, connected with leadership and serving incredible gifts like such talent such work ethic such mm -hmm. drive such passion and uh, that was great but there was also always something with a girl mm -hmm. somewhere off to the side and something that was crossing the line here and there and we talked about it multiple times and I uh, had numerous conversations about it and you know he's doing good for a while not good for a while still kept it up um, a few years pass, um, he's got a fiance, they're engaged, they're doing good, they're on track. Uh, and then we see he's spending a little too much time with another girl. And um, there's some red flags raised and they're saying, hey, what's going on here? This doesn't look appropriate. He's like, no, everything's fine. We're good. 
yeah. it, it's all fine. And then, of course, it comes out that uh, they've been sleeping together and she is pregnant. And yeah, uh, not his wife, but the other. Yeah, girl. not his fiance. The Her other fiance, one. yeah, but the other girl. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. and then we have to sit down and have that conversation. Yeah, and um, and just to be able to sit across the table from this guy and and say, you know what, we've got to do now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And what are we gonna do? And uh, and to have that that working relationship broken. Uh, because of the example thing, um, is very, very painful, not just for our personal relationship, him and me, somebody that I've walked with, with through a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but also the entire generation of kids and youth that have grown yeah. up with him, seeing him, and knowing that they know everything that's going on, and what kind of example is this going to be, mm-hmm. and how that affects the larger culture of what we're doing. And how we deal with it also affects our culture. So the stakes are very high. Um, and um, the, the challenge is to stay in relationship even when you can't serve together. And yeah. that's, that's a difficult thing to do because there's also feelings of rejection and, uh, yeah. and stuff like that involved. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that, that uh, many, many... Uh, children and and uh, teens and young adults are are going to have all kinds of sexual curiosity, uh, sexual experiences. Uh, they're uh, they're going to um, uh, unearth what's there. <laughs> um, and and some people would say, oh, that's just kids being kids, you know. And and uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just. You know, it's it's normal that that every child would uh, have questions and be curious, right? Uh, but what do you say to the, the the what kickback would you give to somebody who says, uh, you know, people should just pursue whatever they desire, you know, and uh, like like the example you mm-hmm. gave to this guy, um, you know, uh, when would it have been a good turning point? for him to prevent the future chaos. Yeah, I think uh, as he was getting into a position of influence and leadership um, to be more um, accountable and transparent about what was yeah. going on, I think that that would have been a turning point. So um, someone says, yeah, but you're you're robbing him of his, his sexual uh, uh, appetite or desire. What do yeah. you say? You know? Well, from an individual's point of view, that might be true. Sure, you got the right to do whatever you want with your body. Sure, have fun, knock yourself out. But from the society point of view, I see it from the other side because every Saturday I'm picking up a busload of kids who are coming from uh, situations where they are missing a vital part of their childhood because of somebody else's sexual uh, freedom. Mm. And so I'm talking about uh, kids that have no dad because their dad decided he was a player and yeah. he just got their mom pregnant and went on to the next girl. Or yeah. their, um, their dad decided that drugs are more important and um, you know got involved in an addiction and wasn't in their life. And so the the domino effect of that 
when multiplied in and in in the entire culture in the city really creates a lot of devastation mm-hmm. and there's this entire generation of kids that are walking around who have this hole in their heart because of the situation that they're in that it's not their fault it's the choices that their parents made and in some cases the situations that their parents found themselves in due to other people's choices Mm -hmm. Um, i'm not pointing fingers or laying blame but when all this happens in our society then the kids are the ones that suffer and the kids are the ones that have to deal with the loneliness and the rejection and the my dad walked out on us when i was two and it's my fault because i'm a bad person and carrying that for years and years which you know, builds into depression, it builds yeah. into um, promiscuity for kids, it builds into suicidal thoughts, it builds into antisocial behaviors. All these things are a result in some way, anyway, of people just doing what they want, when they want, because they want to, with no restraint. Yeah. And so if we're going to change that culture, then it's got to start with the leadership. And it's got to start with the people um on my watch, who I'm raising up as leaders. Mm -hmm. And so I want to address these things now as their young leaders so that they create a different culture for the kids around them and the generation that's coming after them. So people like you, people like Graham, um, your your wives and and, and probably many others, uh, you in fact are serving your surrogate parents Mm -hmm. in many cases. Yeah providing that that kind of mentoring and but not just mentoring uh, but also seeing the good and the potential and drawing that out yeah yeah, yeah there's definitely a gap there yeah. and a need that we're able to step in and fill um, and it's it's very gratifying to be able to have opportunity to speak into the lives of young people in that yeah. way and fill that role. One last question, and mm-hmm. and then I want you to tell us how, how people can get in touch with you and sure. uh, get in touch with Metro Kids. Um, if you could do a 10 times, a 10x, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, 10x, if you could have 10 times uh, the resources, 10 times the people uh, to work with you, 10 times uh, the neighborhoods to work in, 10 times the buses, Talk to me about what, what it would be like to have 10 times the effect. Yeah, well, I think we're operating in a, on a program model that can be super easily replicated and multiplied. And so with 10 times the people, I can put 10 more buses on the road and uh, reach about uh, 3,000 more children yeah. uh, in neighboring cities, um, could even plant this sort of thing across the country. And you use the buses to go pick up kids in their neighborhoods and bring them to programs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to be in relationship with families that would have no connection to any Christian witness otherwise. And the transportation is huge for that for families in poverty. So who should, who should come and help you and why? I think if somebody has a heart for the broken in the cities, um, a heart for families, and uh, a heart to see some change, uh, they would be a good fit. Uh, it's a lot of work doing this type of ministry. Uh, it's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of long hours. 
um, it takes a lot of endurance, but uh, the the rewards are tremendous. Yeah, yeah. In 1994, you started doing this for 296 for 250 dollars a week. That's right. No, so it, was, it was 250 a month. Two, oh, know. 250 a month. Oh, so yeah, you were yeah. clearly in it for the money. I, oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how can people get in touch with you, Mike Brownlee? Uh, you can go to our, our website, MetroKids.ca, and all our contact info is there. And so uh, that's probably the best way to go. Follow us on Instagram at MetroKids Society. We're on Facebook too and all over the place. Mike Brownlee, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Pleasure uh, interviewing you today. Thank you for being on Sidewalk Skyline. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. That was Mike Brownlee, ladies and gentlemen. If you like uh, this podcast, be sure to check out our other episodes for more inspiring interviews and content about God at work in our Canadian cities. Uh, also in the show notes, uh, you can find links to other websites or resources that are relevant to each episode. And uh, while we're at it, check out uh, Mike Brownlee's website at metrokids.ca. If you like what you're hearing on Sidewalk Skyline, why not leave us a review? Let us know what you think or maybe some content or guests that you'd like us to feature. We're online at SidewalkSkylinePodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Click subscribe to be notified of our twice-monthly episodes. And speaking of episodes, you definitely want to tune in for episode four. I'm interviewing Bob Gall from Edmonton. Bob is quite a storyteller, and every story he tells is absolutely true. <laughs> this won't hurt, this won't hurt did it. <laughs> One of the most colorful examples of a man who will stop at nothing to share God's love in his city. I can't believe I get to be friends uh, with people like this. I'm truly blessed, and, and I think you'll be really... Uh, encouraged as you hear about some of the things that go on in downtown Edmonton. If you want to contact me, Kevin Rogers, reach out to me at SidewalkSkylinePodcast.com or on our Facebook site or Twitter. I would love to hear what you think about what we're doing here. And until next time, keep one ear to God and the other ear to the ground in your city. I'm Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Skyline.